Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How are you doing? Good. What's up, man? Very good. So, got a very cool, interesting topic today, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, we're talking about conversion, and we're talking about data, and, and this whole idea that, you know, it, it's an increasing data world. I mean, you, you think about all the different data that that companies acquire through, you know, customer actions and insights, and even, you know, even some of the PII that they get, and, you know, through all the different crazy journeys that customers take to purchase and one of the big things that people forget is you know really what's all about improving your conversion because with all this data if they don't convert what does it really mean to you yeah and that's very well put i think i'm really excited about the topic today as well because conversion has been close to all of us and that's one of the biggest Mm -hmm. driver of the positive business outcomes, right? If you have, and by conversion, there are different types of conversions. For today, we're going to be focusing primarily on the digital conversion and the conversion yep. that happened on your digital properties or your mobile properties. Cool. Um, but I think you put it very well. You know, the data is good in itself, but if you use the data to drive an action and drive action that leads to results and revenue from your uh, digital and mobile properties, I think that's. It, the data serves the purpose. Completely agree. And, and, and I think, you know, uh, to start with, let, let me give you the topic for today. So today's topic is 10 data-driven things you can do to improve your conversion. And, and I think the reason why this is important, and, and we've been talking about this in a lot of podcasts, is this idea that, you know, we're talking about this unicorn data marketer, right? It's this hybrid role of person who understands digital marketing, who understands data and analytics, but you know understands the 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 tactical nuanced side of data management and data analysis but also understands the qualitative people side of really selling up to management and getting things done within the company and really with all that it's being able to take data that you get from your activities turning that really into strategies and actions but really trying to sell the opportunity for conversion and with a lot of these things you have to do within your company, when you're making improvements, you have to spend money. And if you yeah. can't turn around and sell that to your to your management to to get them to give you money to go and improve your conversion, you're stuck. Yeah, and conversion is such an interesting topic that it touches a lot of different uh, groups and people, uh-huh. right? Specifically, if you are a team that is managing your web projects. Uh, then that that should be your one of the top priorities. Besides making sure that your digital assets are functioning correctly and their the website's live, uh, the top another top priority should be to making sure that the conversion is happening uh, in in a decent way that you can measure it, you can optimize it, you can build upon it. The other mm-hmm. team that is directly responsible for this conversion goal should be your marketing team. Essentially, the digital yes. media marketers, the digital performance management teams, uh, even uh, to a greater degree, your marketing automation teams because you capture all that name and emails through forums. And if mm-hmm. those forums are not performing in terms of conversion, that you know, it kind of destroys the purpose of having a team that captures <laughs> right. yeah. email. Exactly. So those are the uh, different teams that are – and then, of course, your partner team as well. If you have – if you're collecting partner information on site, 
then you want to make sure that those partner forms are enabled and optimized. And it gets really interesting when you're actually selling products. Like if you're a retailer, if you're a commerce, uh, e-commerce company, and you have uh, lots of pro- products selling online, then you know there you go. Like conversion is going to be one of the biggest factors for you to drive business and continue to improve revenue without making any exactly. further investments uh, in the business. Completely agree. Completely agree. So let's start with number one. So this is a good one. And, you know, when you get in data analytics, a lot of times you're still thinking, well, you know, is there a formula? Is there something I can follow? And this first one is, you know, it's use a robust conversion optimization methodology. You know, there's this formula you can use to really, um, you know, optimize your conversion. So what is this formula? Yeah, I think first off, uh, the idea behind this is exactly like you said, uh, Okay, now I want to improve my conversion. You know, what yep. does that mean? Yep. Uh, what is the methodology? What is the process? Is there the steps do I need to take? Do I need to just go directly and start making changes to the number of fields that I have in the form or reduce the conversion steps? Or I'm going to quickly say no because that's that's when scary things happen. So don't just quickly <laughs> right and, and don't that, just change things, right? No, absolutely. Yeah, we don't want to take uh, uh, blunt decisions and start taking action without following a process. So what? There, and there are lots of different processes to look at the conversion, lots of different science behind it. The one that I really like is uh, the one that is developed by a team from Marketing Experiments. Uh, so Marketing Experiments, I don't know if you visit their site, they do a lot of testing, live testing, mm-hmm. and they provide their analysis and blogs and case studies. Definitely encourage you guys to go there. We'll put the link uh, in their show notes, but marketingexperiments.com, they have built a formula for conversion optimization. And the formula itself is a methodology. So what what is the formula? The formula is C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. Now, you know, it may seem a pretty complicated formula, but in honest, all honesty, it's not. So what does the mm-hmm. C stands for? The C is the conversion rate. So essentially, if you want to improve your conversion rate, you have to follow certain steps. You have to improve certain things. You have to uh, reduce friction and that kind of stuff. So M is for motivation. So let's – if you don't mind, let's go through each of these to make sure people understand kind of what that may mean. What is motivation? Motivation of the prospect. So this is also a very interesting thing. So whenever a prospect is on your website, they're looking at Mm -hmm. your products or they're looking at your solutions and they want to become a customer or they want to become a lead. Um, The idea is if if the information that you have on the website, does that motivate your prospect to take that next step? And that next step could be adding a product to the shopping cart. It could be... Uh, taking a step and providing their information uh, on the forum so they can download that white paper that is motivating mm-hmm. them to take the action. Uh, so a v- variety of different ways to think about motivation. Nice. Okay, yeah. very cool. So the next is a V, which stands for value proposition. Now, this also goes hand-in-hand hand with the motivation. Of course, if your value proposition is strong enough, if you are clearly providing the details of why your product or service stands uh, ahead of anybody else or why your product or service is going to be valuable to your client or your customers. Uh, If you are clear enough, if you are concise and precise, then, again, 
it goes hand in hand. It motivates your customers to take that next action. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have I, which stands for incentives. Yep. So what kind of incentives are you going to offer them to take that action? So Amazon does it well. If you have, if you pay $40, I believe now, then you get free shipping, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. So similar types of incentives. So if you, so that motivates you to put more products in your shopping cart. Uh, that way you can get free shipping. Uh, another incentive could be a bonus. If you buy a shirt, maybe we'll give you a tie for free, you know, that kind of incentive. So that's also helps reducing uh, the friction, which is F. So if you add incentives yep. and reduce friction, so that's why friction is minus. Uh, so friction is you remove any kind of uh, issues uh, that will prevent them from taking the next step. So if you have a form that has like 30 fields, you know, that's a friction because now yep. they have to fill out 30 pieces of information before they can download your white Which paper. nobody wants to do. And you're, basically your abandonment rate is going to be through the roof. Significantly <laughs> through the roof. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another example for friction is if you have too many steps in your shopping cart process, yep. uh, then, then that's, you know, that's a friction. People will not take action. So, again, all of this information is very data-centric. So this, the, the one thing that I like about this formula is puts the conversion optimization into a complete data-driven process. Uh, the last one is anxiety. So again, that's also a minus. You need to reduce your anxiety. What's, mm-hmm. what's anxiety? So I have my credit card ready, but if I look at your website and it doesn't seem that you guys are legit, it mm-hmm. doesn't seem that you have a robust, uh, secured shopping card. Yep, like secured, secured checkout. Um, yeah, secured checkout, you know, like like Net. So I think this is a really great uh, formula, you know, because the thing is, if you think about this formula, it translates not only to the analytics professional within a, uh, you know, a specific marketing channel, but this can be used across, you know, UX teams, you know, trying to increase conversion on websites. It can work with even the email marketing team, um, display marketing team, any different team that really has an interest in, in, in digital conversion. Absolutely. It is, uh, it makes the whole process manageable. It makes the whole process data centric. And then you also know what you need to improve upon and what you need to reduce uh, in order to maximize on your conversion optimization efforts. This is the new ROI formula that everybody has to memorize, right? <laughs> Revenue minus cost over cost is too easy. Now we got to go into the conversion formula, right? So right. everybody yeah. listening, pop quiz. When Samir and I meet you, we're going to ask you this formula. So <laughs> <laughs> you're like, That's no, cool. I don't want to. No, we'll, we'll okay. definitely put the so more two. details into our show notes so everyone can have it. Awesome. Okay, so number two is um, so focus on the micro conversions in addition to macro conversion. So let's first start here. What's really the definition between macro versus micro? Uh, And that's a great question. And this is where I think most of the people get hung up upon because they're so focused on driving revenue from their website, generating leads from their website, that they forget that before that anonymous visitor becomes a known visitor or before that anonymous visitor becomes a paid customer, there is a process that they follow. Uh, There are steps that they take uh, and there's also the duration from the first time they come to the website to the time they'd actually take action. Um, so all of this happens uh, in in a time frame. It could take, depending on your business cycle, it could take a week, it could take a few days, or it could take months. Mm-hmm. That's 
where the microconversion piece comes in. So microconversion essentially are those steps, those critical moments that they take getting close to the end result, which is either buying a product on your shopping cart or either downloading your white paper or either becoming a lead and asking for a demo request. The conversion, the microconversions can be maybe they're clicking on a video and they're playing a video, they're watching mm -hmm. videos, they are interacting with your blog and they're subscribing to your blog, they're reading your blog post, uh, they're downloading a non-gated content or asset that you have on your website, they're downloading mm -hmm. maybe a video or, or your podcast that you have listed on the website, or they're looking at the product literature, brochure, flyers that you have on the website, they're playing with the product, you know, they're, they're increasing, uh, they're adding things in the shopping cart. So those are all sorts of micro-conversions that will eventually lead them to take that bigger action. So most of the time, as I was saying, is people get tend to hung up on those big conversion attempts. Like, hey, yep. they're in the shopping cart. Why are they not converting? Even before that, before they're in your shopping cart, before they're in your, filling out your forms, you need to make sure that you're capturing the information and you're identifying the leaks in the funnel. You know, one of the analysis that we do, which is pretty popular, which is a leaky bucket analysis. So mm -hmm. we identify the top performing pages or sections in the website, and we see that what is causing the leak from those pages that the people are not going to the shopping cart, the people are not filling out the form. So the leaky bucket analysis helps you identify those micro-conversion impacts on your macro-conversions. So let me ask you a question here. So let's say I'm an analytics professional and, and, you know, I'm an avid listener of this fabulous podcast that we have, right? And Samir comes on and he tells me, you know, focus on the micro conversions through, uh, versus the macro. And then all of a sudden, you know, I go back to my workplace and I'm, I'm starting to really identify a lot of micro conversions that really are, you, you know, really, I think, making an impact. At what point do you really spend more time in the micro versus macro or the opposite and really how do you um, keep yourself from going down a rabbit hole of, of just kind of you know analysis paralysis and, and that's a great point because you know when you talk about the micro conversion it, there could be a lot of different ways to look at micro conversion and people could mm -hmm. really get into the weeds of hey now do i have to track every single thing before i track yeah, my end goal which exactly. is generating revenue from my website uh I think if you have the data behind it, if you have the analytics behind it, you need to identify those. First off, you need to identify where are the leaks happening on your website prior to someone getting into your form or your uh, shopping carts. That's number yep. one thing. The second thing they need to do is look at the data and identifying the activities that precedes the macro conversion process, right? So if you identify those four to five activities that is consistently preceding the macro conversions, then mm -hmm. you can go work on those activities and improve those activities first. And then the third thing is you need to make sure that you bridge the gap between your micro and macro conversion. So the whole idea behind investigating and doing due diligence on micro conversion is for the fact that you want to eventually improve your macro conversion. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like 60, 40, I don't know what the exact split is, but it's, you know, somewhere around the lines of 60, 40 splits, the time that you spend on your micro conversion versus the yep. time that you've spent on your shopping carts or your web forms. And I would say always be aware of your end goal because at the end of the day, you could be doing a lot of things to change those micro conversions, but a lot of times the effect uh, of those changes and let's say 
a typical change that you want to take is going to take you 10 working hours to fix. And then you have something that you feel like is very important. It ends up taking you 30 working hours to fix. But the end result, it doesn't really affect your bottom line and does nothing to increase your revenue at the end of the day. That's where you have to really start prioritizing the things that really matter. And so being able to take a step back and say, how do I prioritize the things that I'm doing? What is really the most important thing for me to focus on? I think that that's a big key to this one too. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Cool. So number three says reduce the number of fields and uh, connect or collect information later. So what does that really mean? Uh, that, you know, it's pretty straightforward. So one of the things that I was, we were mentioning earlier when we talked about the conversion optimization formula, mm-hmm. uh, one of the key things was to reduce the friction. If you have, let's say if you are providing them, uh, let's say if they're buying a products and if you are yep. collecting a lot of information, trying to collect every single demographic information about the person up front, then <laughs> yeah. you're adding a lot of friction in the process. You just need to collect the information that is required. First off, it's required by your company in order to process the payment and, and make sure that the product delivered to a correct address, right? I mm-hmm. think those are the two big things. And then secondly, if there is anything by law, uh, you need to be collecting uh, so maybe if you're if you want to collect social security number because you're required from by law to collect that information that you need to take care of that. So I think those two needs to go into uh, apart from these two information, if you want to get their birth date, if you want things about their family and people in their family, and there are a lot of pieces that will be useful for you to market to them in future. But mm-hmm. this is not the time. I mean, they have already taken out their credit card. They've already I completely made that, agree. Yeah, they're, they've already made a decision to buy your product, and now you start collecting all this pieces of information that is hindering them, that is adding friction to the conversion process. So, um, yeah, and, and not to really give a plug, but there, there's a there's a tool that I work with frequently at, at IBM. It's called Tea Leaf. You know, and, and Tea Leaf is a great way. You know, like a lot of tools out there, it's a great way to really start to follow the true path and the struggle that a customer takes when they're going through the purchase process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear some stories about customers where they'll spend like uh, twice a month and they'll sit down with popcorn on a Friday afternoon and watch people struggle in their site, you know, just to, to get some humor out of it so they, you know, they don't feel like it's just a boring process. But, you know, being able to reduce that friction, I mean, there are things that are important for them that you really, that you really need for them to, to buy. And then there are things that just a little bit superfluous, you know, things that are going to could possibly impact your conversion rate. And I'm glad that you mentioned tea leaf, you know, the tea leaf is definitely one of the several tools, like user replay, yep. uh, session replay and several other tools that does a very good job of identifying what exactly are the users experiencing when they're on your website. Uh, is it the f- length of the form that is causing them to not buy the product from you? Is it the number of fields? Is it the complication of the data mm-hmm. that you're asking in those fields? So I highly recommend if you're not using a customer analytic solution like Tea Leaf or Use a Replay or any other Clicktail or any other solution that is out there, uh, and if you're trying to improve your conversion, then you're kind of not looking at the user side of the story, which you definitely have to look at. Absolutely. Okay. And one so quick thing before we move on to the yeah, next sure. one, for those who are close to the marketing automation side of things, uh, and they'll pretty they'll be pretty familiar with the term progressive profiling. It's yep. essentially, you know, 
the progressive profiling is you collect some information up front so as to get to capture the information about your prospect. And at a later stage, you collect more information. So, for example, you can go with a name and email on the first go-round. And then once the prospect engages with your content or downloads another piece of content in your website, at that point you collect additional information such as their company, their their full name, their address, and possibly more information later. Okay. Makes sense. And I think that really goes into you know, our, our number four is simplifying the data collection steps. So let's let's continue talking about this. So when you talk about simplifying that data collection, I mean, you're talking about steps before, steps after, steps during the process, you know, how do you how do you describe this? Yeah, and this uh, this also connects very well to, you know, the world that you and I live in, which is the mm-hmm. data coming from different sources, right? Yes. So first off, uh, again it goes back to the information what we were saying earlier. If you limit the amount of data that you collect on that prospect or customers in the first go round and allow them to complete the process uh, and they feel good about it, and then at the later stage, you can collect the information by doing progressive profiling, which is allowing them to provide more information to get uh, more stuff from you in future, or append data from different sources. Uh, that can allow you to build a profile more intelligently based on the data coming from your CRM solution, based on the data coming from third-party solutions, uh, where they can get additional information about their company, their contact, other contacts in the company, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it really sounds like even a practice of patience here. You know, it's one of those things to where, you know, you get to that point to where you feel like, man, if somebody's going to come in, before they leave, or if anything, I want to make sure I get as much information as possible. Yes. And it, it gets to a point to where you have to take a step back and you think, you know, th- this is when when I teach my class, um, you know, I tell my students is when you're looking at buyer personas, put yourselves in the shoes of the customer. At what point will you get, I'm going to use the word annoyed, but at what point will you get annoyed with the amount of data that has to be collected in order for you to go through the process. And I think the best example of this is when applying for a job, right? When you go to a company's website and you apply for a job, you're sitting there thinking, man, I wish I can just, can't they just look at my resume or can't I just copy and paste some stuff? No, they make you fill out form and fields and everything in the data collection process. And it's one of those things that forces you to finish. That's the complete opposite of what really happens in the real world. You know, that's a force function to see if you're willing to commit to the job and do all that. What you have to do with your retail side is the complete opposite of that. You know what I mean? You're not forcing all that information at the beginning. You want to get as little as possible in order to get those people to convert. Then you can come back and get it later. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Cool. Uh, number five. So we have have a strong risk reversal policy. So i.e. return policy trial and money back and you know let's also if you could talk about some of the fears that people have because a lot of times you some people will say well i don't want to really give them too many opportunities to give the money back because what if they don't like the product i'd rather them just be stuck with it and move on rather than you know having me always have to get money back if they're not happy with it yeah and that's a great point now it also depends on the brand that you're working with right um, so your risk reversal, if you have established and if you have a pretty solid brand like Coca-Cola, uh, mm-hmm. you know, most people 
in the world enjoy Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola does, even though I think they, they provide some type of reversal in their bottle, if they're not happy, they can still refund. Yep. Uh, but most people are not going to refund because they know the brand very well and everybody know the taste and you know everybody are pretty, they trust the company that Coca-Cola is going to produce that consistency uh, in the product that I'm going to have access to. Uh, unless Coca-Cola comes up with a completely new flavor, and that nobody really likes it, and they still have an opportunity to go and get a refund. But again, if you if you have established your brand to the degree where the Coca-Cola is, or the Googles of the world, or Salesforce of the world, or IBMs of the world, then the the idea of risk reversal policy is uh, kind of is diminishes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, like especially if you're working on a large contracts. Uh, that's one of the big things in, in companies dealing with large contract. Like if you're dealing in contract value of $100,000 and somebody is really ready to sign it, you have to have uh, a clause to opt out. You have to have a clause for termination. You have to make sure that your customers feel comfortable that at some point of time they don't want to do business with you. Uh, you give them the opportunity to negotiate it. Uh, and again, it depends on all your company policies and laws and whatnot. But you, the more you give a customer an opportunity to take, to be willing to take the risk, especially if the dollar value increases, uh, the better you are in the shape of acquiring that customer much quicker. Now, this works very well on the consumer side of things as well. Like if you have a return policy, no question asked return, like most of the uh-huh. e-commerce retailers providers provides today, then again, you're providing a risk reversal. Uh, and studies have shown that the more return policy risk reversal that you provide, the better your business outcome will be, the more customers you require. Now, a lot of people fear that, hey, if I give too much, then exactly. most of my customers are going to take advantage and they're not going to, uh, you know, they're going to take advantage of the system and I'm going to lose a lot of money. I Studies prove that wrong. It's clearly shown that the better you are in offering better risk reversal, the more customers will opt in and your business will improve. Exactly. 100% agree. So uh, let's see, number six, so remove friction from the process. So what does that mean? What are we talking about with friction? So friction, again, goes back to uh, the whole idea behind allowing me to work with you and your digital properties in a, in a seamless way, uh, in a frictionless way. So I'm not, you're not hindering me mm-hmm. when I'm the shopping cart. You're not providing me a bunch of pop-ups that is annoying me. Mm-hmm. And so the, to the point that I'm abandoning your shopping cart. If you're, so this, yeah, yeah, sorry, go for it, yeah. No, I was gonna say, yeah, if you're filling out a form to download a white paper, you're not presenting me ten different offers to download other white papers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, things like that. You're you're not adding more layers to the process that I'm already engaged in. You're not adding unnecessary data collection to the steps. You're not creating a whole bunch of steps for me to make the whole thing harder. You're not yeah. necessarily popping the chat box in the face when I'm already in the process of buying your product. Uh, I think those are all the examples of friction. Uh, it is extremely critical for you to analyze your buying process, your digital buying process on, on your uh, tablets, on your desktops, and your mobile devices, and see if you're providing any kind of friction that may be hindering users depending on the device type and depending on the experience uh, that will prevent them from taking that next step. Very cool. So uh, let's go into this next one. So th- this is a pretty interesting one. So number seven. So we're talking about test color, UI, and you know other aesthetics. 
Yeah, uh, I think the idea here is when you now you have already identified the areas that are causing friction, you have provided a solid risk reversal, uh, and you have made sure that you're focusing on your microconversion, uh, and you still want to test. You want to continue to test mm-hmm. and improve your conversion. You want to test uh, specific hero shots versus other types of hero shots. You want to test yep. a collection of specific fields versus other fields. You want to test the layout. You want to test the background colors. You want to test the color of the buttons and icons in the page. The whole experience. Um, so that's where it gets on to like not only testing the visual elements, the one that we can see and uh, mm-hmm. connect with, but also testing the back-end element. Is the form, the shopping cart, yep. causing any delays in processing the data? Uh, is someone just sitting there clicking and nothing's really happening? And, and Yeah, and that's where tools like, you know, Tea Leaf and User Replay and all those, those really come into play there. And that really makes it a more powerful experience for you as an analytics professional to really understand what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where the area where you have to know what's going on, not only the front end, which which most of the tools do, but I think that's where tea leaf shines is the back end processes. You know, what's happening in the uh, API connectivity, if there is any error happening in the back end, if there are any HTTP codes that you should be aware of that's causing a problem. So all those needs to care of. And page page speed test is another great tool where you can analyze this lo- the load time of your pages. So the yeah. users are not spending too much time on those pages. Yeah, and, and I think also to even combine with number six, which was remove friction for the process, and number seven around you know, test color UI and, and these things that are restricting conversion, we also have to look at the increase in the in the number of of products or, or uh, that people use or platforms that people use to purchase. Mm-hmm. You know, people will jump from Mac to PC. Some people may have a Samsung phone. Well, probably not anymore, right? But some people will have a Samsung phone the and then ones, jump. Yeah. The old one, right? And then jump on to you know, uh, a Windows PC for work, and when they get home, they're on like an iPad. And so, you know, they're you're using all these different tools. And so it is really the duty of that, uh, of the company to really understand how does the aesthetics, um, you know, render within or the UI functionality, how does it all work within the different platforms from mobile to tablet to desktop, Mac, PC, you know, and, and even moving from one to the other, removing that friction and making sure that everything has been tested. That seems like an extra step. I mean, even to the fact that sometimes you'll go back into your simple Google, Google Analytics and find out that people are using Windows 7, Windows 8, and there's still a considerable amount of people using old Windows platforms or old Microsoft or Mac OS platforms. And so you have to be able to build out things according to each of these older versions to make sure that you don't remove or that make sure that you do remove any friction from this process of conversion. Because at the end of the day, if they don't convert, you don't make money. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think uh, the multi-device centricity, uh, yep. which also called responsive testing. Um, exactly. So you want to make sure that you pick your five top platforms. Like go look at Google Analytics or uh any analytic solution that you have and go look at the device types, the most frequently used device types from your consumer base, uh, mm-hmm. and then build your experiences and build your conversion optimizations and testing around those device, 
Uh, you don't yes. have to like boil the entire ocean. I mean, there is a gazillion <laughs> amount of devices in the world, but you need to focus on the top five that your customers use uh, and just focus on those and build the experience on top of it. And once you have built the right experiences and you, we, we are seeing that you're reducing the bounces, you're reducing the abandonment yep. rate, you can focus on other devices. So that's a great suggestion. Yeah, and I, I remember at an old company I used to work for, you know, we we found out there were some people having trouble in the cart, and it was, I believe, only 50 people with a lower average order value that were still using Windows 7, right? And yeah. we're already on what, Windows 10 now or something. And so it was a back-and-forth conversation between me and the management trying to say, well, look, these people are still having trouble with Windows 7, and we're going back to the development team. They're saying, listen, if you want us to fix this, it's going to take X number of hours with X number of resources, and you won't be able to do this other project. Do you really have an interest in this? And sometimes you get to a point where you say, you know what, it's not worth it. Right. It's it's not worth the expense. You're going to have to let those 50 people suffer. Yeah, and but, it, it also know, depends on the volume, yeah. right? You know, again, the volume. from a percentage yep. standpoint, if that's like less than 10% of your audience, if you're like even 5%, and versus the 90% that are suffering yeah. really bad, you want to focus on the 90% and then get your attention to 10% at some point if you have the resource and time. Yeah, and there's no real formula to this. This is where Samir and I say, use your gut. You know, sometimes you just got to, you know, let the argument go and say, I'm sorry, we're just going to have to let these people suffer. It's for the greater good of our conversion rate. Right. So. Yeah. Your company is not for everyone, right? Your product exactly. is not for everyone. It's for a specific target segment. Exactly. So let's get into number eight here. Uh, provide a data measurable guarantee like Zappos and LifeLock. Uh, so here the idea is kind of similar to what we talked about earlier in the risk reversal, but this is more specific to uh, a guarantee that is either tied to some type of data centric number. So for example, uh, Zappos guarantee, we all know it's a free return, free shipping policy. So yes. they're tying it to a specific time frame, right? Yep. I love that. I love yeah, that. yeah. And, and LifeLock is another company that I really uh, value at some point of time. The CEO offers, so LifeLock is a uh, identity protection service. Uh, and there were lots of different identity protection services back then, but the way LifeLock stood ahead of every one of one of them because the CEO put his social security number out in public. Um, so that his guarantee was like, hey, here's my social security number uh, and you know I'm protected by LifeLock. And so this gives a lot of confidence in people like, hey, look, he's putting a social security out, which is one of the most private number that you ever yes. want to share. Yeah. And uh, so then that kind of gives people a very uh, – Con great confidence in your product because now you're putting uh, your own personal identity or your pers personal data in front of everyone. Uh, so think about that. Uh, I like the approach of giving some type of uh, number perspective mm -hmm. to your risk reversal policies, some type of measurable guarantee, like either it could be 30 days, 30 minutes. Domino's Pizza was at one point in time very famous for it, a 365-day risk reversal, yeah. a 90-day yeah. pilot, um, a 30 day no question asked money back guarantee there are lots of different ways to think about from a data perspective on how you offer your guarantee well it's always like lose 30 pounds in 30 days guaranteed exactly. right yeah it's, it's all <laughs> it's on numbers you know numbers it is. drive people it is. yeah 
Cool. Well, uh, number nine, we're almost there. So personalized user experience based on data and traffic paths. And, and I think personalization really has been the key. I mean, you know, you, you and I are big fans of our, our buddy Scott Brinker, you know, Chief Martech. And, you know, he talks about the, you know, the, the influx in the marketing technologies and, and really the ones that are, are just moving away from the rest of the, the competitors out there are people that have focused on uh, or companies that have focused on personalization. And I think more and more companies today are really trying to say, you know what, we really need to give a, a strong personalized user experience, but you have to really know the data. You have to have the, the right data, but you have to have, actually have to know the, the paths that people take because those paths are different every single time. And that's where the idea comes in where your testing on, on your digital properties or mobile properties should all be based on the entire experience. It mm-hmm. should be based on the journey. So, you know, if you think about it, your testing could be stationary on one particular object or one particular page. Or it could be the the journey that they take and you test during that phase of the journey. So, for example, if you're only optimizing the step one of your shopping cart and yep. if you're only testing on the step one, but your step two and three are hurting the visitors, then you're just doing, you know, you're doing a half-baked job because you're not focusing on the entire journey, which also encompasses your step two and three. So that's where you need to make sure that you personalize their entire experience. So if you're identifying them by some personal name probably or some personal identifier during the first step and you're forgetting Mm -hmm. to do that in the next step and the following step, then again, you're losing them. Uh, if you if someone comes to your website from a very specific industry, and if you're acknowledging that their industry is on the homepage, and then when they get to the later pages, you're ignoring them completely, then again, you're not doing justice to your optimization efforts because now they're like, hey, they recognize me in the first place, but then now they don't care about me. They're providing me this completely different product. So that's where you need to make sure that your testing, your optimizations, the user experience need to align with the different steps that the users take on your digital properties. What's funny is I use that exact same example in, in one of my classes. And, you know, a lot of times to try to get my students to really understand it, I talk about it in the dating world. Yeah. Right. So the first, the first time you meet, you meet a girl, you meet somebody, you're like, ah, oh, you know, you, you give them a lot of attention. It's a very personalized experience. So, you know, they, they, they're attracted to you and they want to go on the next date or something. Next time you come back and you don't really have that same, you know, that kind of same charisma and you're really not focused on them and all that stuff, you're going to lose it real fast. Yeah, There ain't going to be a third, there's not going to be a third date. There's not. And this is what, (laughs) you know, this is what the marriages all are all about, right? If people, the reason why people stick with the other person for so long is because they want to make sure that they bring that vibe to the relationship every now and so. It kind of goes the same back to the personalization of user experience, right? You have to be consistent. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So final last one, number 10. So this seems like an obvious one, but it's important for us to speak about. So continuous measurement and optimization mindset. So we all understand continuous measurement, right? Being able to continually test and continually measure things because situations change based on seasonality, macro trends, micro trends, and so on, right? Yes, so what about optimization mindset? So it, it, are you talking about more along the lines of the mindset of you yourself or your your company or your team? 
or, or what does that mean? Uh, definitely this, uh, the optimization mindset is a macro, uh, economic factor. Like the entire company should have an optimization mindset, always be improving, always be challenging and always be, uh, making things better for the entire organization. But more mm-hmm. specifically, when it comes to the conversion optimization, the mindset should be like, you have to have a dedicated person in the team that is doing a job of conversion optimization, or you have to have a team of people that are so their sole responsibility is to making sure that people are converting on the website. Um, yeah. and they are looking at the data. They're looking, you know, looking from a data science perspective, looking at, you know, from an analytics perspective and making those judgmental call about the design of the website, about the layout of the site without getting interfered every now and then from a variety of different people, you know, they should be like, okay, as long as I'm following the brand guidelines, as long as I'm making sure that the content is delivered, what they were supposed to get access to, I want to make sure completely and aggressively optimize the conversion on the website. And plus, yeah. and plus like, you know, as I mentioned, like if, if they're not making any judgmental call about the brand guidelines, because they need to make sure that the button and the alignment of the pages and everything suits the brand they cannot just put like a pink button on a blue website it it doesn't make (laughs) sense right so those are the things they need to make sure but the mindset should everyone should have the mindset the the digital marketers the uh the marketing optimization person uh the automation people uh, the operations group uh, the marketing executive they should all have Mm -hmm. this mindset like hey we need to focus on optimization and now we have have this new team that's going to take care of it this new person is going to take care of it we're going to trust him and make sure that we all follow the direction that the person of the team is taking us. Very cool. So, yeah, th- I think this is great. I mean, ho- hopefully our audience loves us. So 10 data-driven things you can do to improve conversion. Um, as always, you know, we've, uh, we keep on saying, please reach out to us with your comments, um, you know, any questions you have, any topics you want to have. And, you know, if you just want to say hi, feel free to reach out to us. Um, come check us out at datacrackle.com and our other podcast at digitaltenant.com. And, um, you know, we, we've definitely had some people respond to us and we love it. Keep it coming. Yeah. I really so, appreciate um, all the, all the great comments that we've been receiving, the feedback that we're receiving. Thank you. Cool. And, um, have a great day, Samir, and, uh, we'll see you guys on the air. Thank you. See you guys. Bye.